namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa uttang dhammang sankhang namasami Apologies, I forgot to set the clock. Bad monk. I thought I did. So it's our final evening together. Final is a sanya. So the feeling of finality is the different than the feeling of originality or beginning and so I hope you've had a good time <laughs> I have so and the Sangha as I was saying we're very very grateful for your kindness and support and generosity <clears throat> so um, there's a question here I suppose I could Pursue this one and see where it goes. Dear Ajahn, is it suitable? If it is suitable, please explain how you do death meditation. Okay. Um, I have a friend now, and she has lung cancer. And uh, it's, it's not looking so good for her. Uh, and yet it is looking good for her. She's a meditator. And I've, I've um, been involved with the dying processes of about, I should say, six women in the last three years, all from cancer, all of kind of close to my age. <clears throat> and uh, some of them, a couple of them I... I knew, but I didn't know that well. I didn't know what their views were on Buddhist ideas of rebirth. So, a kind of opening. And, and both of them came to me with a terminal diagnosis and, and, and said, so, how do I do dying? <laughs> Which is an interesting question. Um, so, my first question to them was, do you think that consciousness is in the body or do you think that the body is in consciousness? That's my opening question. So rather than couch the question in terms of rebirth, and many Westerners balk at that, you know, because they, they may or may not believe it, but that kind of more general question, consciousness, is it located in the body? Or is the body located in consciousness? It's a different way of looking at it. So it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's a more immediate, I would think, consideration rather than rebirth and then you get questions of, you know, will I be a deva or will I be a dog? <laughs> you know, you get those kinds of speculative questions and we don't know. At least I don't know. I'm sure, I mean, there are psychic monks and lay people who know. I, I haven't had a psychic experience in my life, so. Uh, so anyway, I asked, I asked them both, and, and uh, 
us all six people, and none of them said, I think that the body isn't, that the consciousness is in the body. Um, that's probably why they came to me. So they had a sense of otherness or something more than just the demise of this body. They didn't think it was a black hole and that was it. Um, that being the case, I suspect most of us have a similar intuition. Um, that being the case, uh, how would you do dying? Right? I don't think any of us are really that bothered about death. It's getting there the last six months. That's frightening. Isn't when you think of when you've seen people who have cancer and they're dying. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. Um, so I've never, I haven't really done specific death meditations because my interest is in the deathless, right? So, my, my sense of it is, is that the point of this incarnation and birth is to understand the deathless. And if I understand that, then death would simply be another, I guess, experience. And, uh, so if I can be attentive to experience as it manifests and I can continue to contemplate what is, the, what is unconditioned, uncreated, unoriginated, unborn, what is deathless, then it seems to be I'm, I'm prepared for whatever, however death takes place. Um, how prepared I am for the pain that precedes death, I'll find out, right? But I'll go for the painkillers, definitely. I, I once um, was with a family and, and a woman who was dying of cancer again in, uh, in Wellington. And they have a very good hospice program in New Zealand. It's beautiful, beautiful hospice. And this particular person had made a strong aditana not to use morphine. And about three days before she was she passed away, she was in utter, utter hell of pain. And we're all saying, just take the morph. <laughs> just don't worry about it. And so she took the pain medication finally and, and she had a very lucid death. She was quite, quite bright. She wasn't stoned. You know. she, she was quite lucid and clear. So, so I think in terms of the, the dying process, certainly modern medication is fabulous. You know, the, the capacity to medicate pain and yet stay stay conscious and awake is a great barami we have of modern medicine. So in any case, um, just watching these good folk uh, uh, as they went through their final stages, and I've been I've been you know at death's bed with fair number of people. My mum was the most profound. Um, so like with my mom, you, you could see it like, like death is a very private thing. Just like, like the flu is a very private thing. <laughs> you know, people can, can reassure you and so on and you give you some lemon juice. <laughs> but having sickness is a very private affair. 
And I don't know about you, but when I'm sick, I want to be alone. I don't want anyone asking me, how are you doing? Because I'm doing rotten. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so in, in, our, in our meditations, we are practicing alone, but we're getting tremendous support as Kalyanamitta. So what the people I've been with that are, that are dying, they're so grateful for the love and, and attention they get and the care they get. Um, but much of it, much of it is, is, is just very, very alone in their own um, pain and, and uh, mindsets they're coming. But the people who have been meditators, who are meditators, um, they have a, a they have a practice, right? They have a way of being with phenomena that are difficult. They have a way of being with pain, and usually they're the ones that they're like. If they're the meditators, they're actually stronger than the rest of the family. You know, the dyers are actually counseling everyone else. I've seen that quite often, right? Because they're okay with it. You know, they're all right with it. In situations where people haven't meditated or haven't had a kind of grounding or families that haven't had, I've seen people just trying to... In one, one instance where the, where the family, the closest member of the family, was trying to keep the person awake and alive. And that was really ugly to see because they just wouldn't leave them alone. They wouldn't let them die. You know, and that was, that was very, very um, troubling to, to watch that. So dying is okay. No? Dying is, uh, is as it is. So I would say for me that, that it's not so much about death meditation because I'm not, I'm not really afraid of death. I'm afraid of pain, you know. You know, I don't want to see my eyeballs falling out of my head or something like that. And who wants to? So I don't think we're, I don't know, death is too abstract for me. But I am curious. I really, really, you know, that's, that's my sense of it. So I think for me it's not so much a death meditation. It's like how can I negotiate the um, horribleness of pain and the, and, and the incontinence and the, the degradation of the body and the hu humiliation, right? It's a total humiliation. It's horrible. <laughs> it's a total humiliation. And how can I remain okay with that? Uh, how can I remain okay with not having, you know, my bowels don't work or, or um, that I can't control my hand or, you know, all those different things which, which, which are, are part of the, the dying process. Well, I could be with the unpleasant. You know, just that basic thing that we're here with a, a, a painful knee or, or a difficult mind state. We say, oh, benyang nieng. You know, pain feels this way. Um, and we're just with that. And that has tremendous power because it's the same, it's the same practice we're going to be doing when we die. Um, so the more we can do that, be with pain, then, then the dying process is going to have a, the challenge of the dying process is going to have a, a way of being okay, I would think, huh? I think so. Um, none of these people who, that I, that I was with, had any, any real problem with that. It was more problems with their 
attachments to family. That's where, where it's really problematic. Either the family unresolved things like one woman with her son, that kind of stuff, or uh, other family members not wanting this the person to die, you know, kind of just fight it. You know, what's the fight? <laughs> you know, just, just be with it. So other attitudes then would, or, or you have to be careful of. Um, so I, I should think if, 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 you, if you keep your human relationships wholesome, then you won't have all that complexity to deal with, right? If there's unfinished business, well, that'll come up and that'll be preoccupying. And then, and then like, like in, in the hospice work that I've, I haven't done any training, but in the um, May Court hospice where I have been sometimes, the, the, um, the, the manager, they have about 200 uh, volunteers in that hospice, and it's a hospice which has was done, does a lot of um, uh, out care to the home. And the uh, hospice training is that, that it, they're adamant that this is about the person dying, not about you, for all the people who are counseling. Because what happens, unfortunately, is that you know the person's dying, and the person counseling them just starts thinking about talking about themselves. You know, just, a bit inappropriate. <laughs> so, so you know, in 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 working or being with dying people, uh, I found like silence is great. It's not a time for discussing um, paticca samuppada. <laughs> you know, it's a time for for silence and composure. So, if you are a meditator, uh, and and you have that, you can do that with yourself in the dying process, but also that's a fabulous thing to offer family. And that's what I found when I'm asked to come to hospice or the hospital, that I'm always a presence of quietness and okayness. This is okay. It's not good, it's not fun, but it's all right, it's nature. And someone having that perspective in family that can be in the situation where everyone's getting, you know, getting all flappy, and someone's just, you know, just there quietly. It's all right. This is nature. This is Dhamma. That's, that, I think, is a part of death process that we can all offer our families. Um, and quite often, we, you know, because we are contemplatives, we're the ones that can do that. Other people emotionally don't have the equipment or the training to do that. Um, so I'm not so much talking about death meditation as opposed to how we will be involved. Because uh, to me, death meditation is so abstract, really, you know, that, that I mean, I've been to autopsies and all that. And they were interesting, right? And they kind of produced a kind of peaceful result. But if you're, if you're, if you're really contemplating the, the Buddha's realization, then surely it's, it's, it's not so much about death, but about deathless. Huh? That to me, from that original story, deathless. So, when, when, when the when the dying process is there, you can you 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 know if you've actually trained yourself. Okay, this is this is horrible, but what is it that's not horrible? Because in horribleness there is not horribleness. There's awareness. You know what is it like in this pain that is not pain? Because in pain the only the only the the 
pain is, is known, it's an object, right? So in the midst of pain, there is non-pain. In the midst of, of, of the body's degradation, there is awareness. And that's the, that's the gateway to the deathless. Hmm? So as, as that process unfolds, I don't know how it's going to work. Um, say like, like my father, when he, I was with him when he died. And uh, he, he used to have a lot of, uh, as a man, he used to have a lot of stomach problems. Uh, constipation, and that was always the, the topic in the family. Dad's stomach. Always. <laughs> You know how families are. <laughs> so, so he had cancer in the head, in the brain, and um, I was—I didn't have many friends in Buddhist friends in uh, Toronto at the time. So I was walking to the hospital. It took about an hour. So I was counseling mom, and then going to the hospital and spending twelve hours there. So it was quite, quite a kind of frenetic time for me, and. Uh, Anyway, he, he, was, uh, he, he was in the hospital about, about a week, I think. And, and I would go and, and sit with him and, and be with him. And, and then one day he was in a, he was in a room with a, a native Indian. And the native Indian was, I think, Roman Catholic and beautiful man. And uh, I think they got talking about Catholicism. But then the next day my dad was in another room. And um, this was maybe one, two days before he died. I can't remember. But anyway, now he's, you know, imagine he's, his voice is very, very weak now. Very, very weak. And, he's, and um, he calls me to the bed. And he whispers in my ear, What? What, what, what are you saying? What you just said? Did you just say, why do the Japanese commit harikari? Is that what you said? Uh, why do the Japanese commit harikari? Oh, okay. Why? Because they have constipation. <laughs> this is two days before he died. The human spirit, right? It was wonderful, because he was a mess. He was a total mess. The human spirit. So, <laughs> that's one of those oh, kind of moments, right? And then he died. Um, so, so, like awareness and, and that, you know, we are training for death in that sense, not, you know. And, and, and Lumpur would say, like, die before you die, and that kind of thing. So if your contemplation is like this idea of awareness with the way things are, right? Like if, 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 you're, if you're dying, if, if your whole meditation is based on the breath, you're in trouble when you die. Because <laughs> the breath is going to stop. And that's not going to be easy, right? If you die of, well, old man's death is pneumonia, isn't it? You're going to drown. I'm, I'm sorry about this, but <laughs> uh, this is called asuba contemplation. <laughs> You're going to drown, right? Uh, and that's not funny. None of that is funny. So what, what could you do? What could you do? Well, if you've been practicing awareness with breathing, <laughs> anapanasati, and that's your refuge, you're gonna, it's trouble. But 
if you've been practicing awareness with whatever, whether it's the breath or sickness, then surely awareness is going to be the, the strength which will allow you to be curious about dying. Curious, huh? So what will happen when conscious, when, when the skandhas uh, no longer function? I don't know. I don't, I, you know, it's a mystery. Tibetans kind of have some take on it. Bardal and so on. Um, one of the things people worry about is the, is the last moment of death, you know. I think that's terribly overplayed myself. Because I think really it's the momentum of the way you've lived your life. Let, let's say you're, you're uh, okay, you're almost, you're almost dead. And a nurse comes and she kind of rips a plaster off carelessly and you have some pain. And you get angry at her. And then you die. And then you're born in hell? No, come on. You know, you've done all this dana, right? You practice meditation, you've been a good person, and the last moment you say, stupid woman. <laughs> Are you born in hell? I can't, I can't believe that. Are you? I, I, we asked, we, <laughs> we asked uh, Tanjukun Prayut, uh, Prayot, Prayut, I get those two, uh, about that. And he said, well, his, his, <laughs> his uh, analogy was that you have a corral of horses. You know what a corral is? A, a, a fenced a small area of maybe 20 horses. And they're just milling around. There's no order to them. Old ones and young ones and strong ones and weak ones. And then the rancher comes along and opens the gate. Well, okay, if the oldest one, or the weakest one, say, is there, you kind of get out the gate first, but then the strongest one is going to lead. You know, and the strongest one is going to determine where the pack, where the herd, horses are herds, not packs, <laughs> where the herd goes. Huh? And, and that kind of makes more sense, doesn't it? Stupid woman. And then you're going to be that for the rest of your life, you know, next 20 lifetimes. Makes more sense like what you've done and the momentum that you've carried forward and the good deeds you've done and, and, and the attitudes and the jetanas and all of that. Surely that will condition how rebirth might take place. But personally, I'm not interested in rebirth. You know, I'm, I'm more interested in that which is not reborn. What's that? Deathless, right? So I, I think I've got the rebirth bit covered, I hope, <laughs> because if I haven't, then. Who, who does? <laughs> so I'm not so worried about that. Right? I'm not terribly worried. Uh, I'll, I'll behave myself to the final chapter, right? But, but that's, uh, you know, that's, to me, not why the Buddha taught. And, in, you know, and in, in Buddhist cultures, we certainly think a lot about rebirth and make sure we have a good, you know, so we can come back to Nira Nara again next, <laughs> next lifetime. And certainly I hope so, but what's more interesting is maybe what is it that is unborn? And so the language, you know, we talk about death, and the language of deathless, unborn, becomes rather significant. If you talk about, if you, if you have an idea of eternity, then I will live eternally doesn't make sense, because that would be boring it, and not fun. <laughs> Uh, so it's not, you know, the language isn't about eternity, because eternity implies me forever. 
But the language is, is unborn and uncreated and deathless and akalika dhamma. So the way I contemplate that, as I've, as I've shared with you, is so what's unchanging? Right? What's unchanging? And I keep asking that question. There's no answer, but there is silence. What's unchanging? What, what's going to be the same tomorrow when I leave Niranara? Huh? What is the same when I leave the hall? What's different? Okay, I look at what's different. Yeah, temperature's different. So, like, just do that. You just kind of hear, listen, listen to change. What's unchanging? Then go outside, feel the temperature inside cool. Go outside, hot, cool, hot, cool, hot. Changing? What's unchanging? So that, to me, is the inclination to the unborn, to the deathless, which is very, very subtle and ineffable, but there it is. There's something unchanging. So like, like if, I, if, I, if I'm getting agitated by something in the monastery and I, and I have and I feel agitated about some issue or whatever, and then what's not agitated? So in the midst of agitation, there's the noticing of non-agitation, which is awareness. Awareness is not agitated. It knows agitation. And that's very, very subtle, right? Because our, our attention is always on the objects, and that's what I've been talking about. What's unagitated? So if you, but if you, if you keep, do, I find, if you keep doing that inquiry, and it is an inquiry, it is an inquiry, and, and in that inquiry you don't really get an answer, you get silence. And then I try to trust in that silence. It seems to me that will be the kind of reflection that will hopefully we'd be very powerful when the dying comes. And that's what we can do. We can, we can do practices now so that when, when dying comes, um, the, the, you know, in terms of dependent origination, uh, there will be the causality for investigating what is not born. Yeah? Rather, and also be aware of death, whatever that is. No, no idea how that works. Hard to imagine. I went, when my mom died, um, I, uh, I, you know, to contemplate death, if, if we're talking about that, I, uh, she, she died and, and, and um, so actually, I, 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 Noma, you were there, weren't you? Yeah. And Priyani. So they came over and Harini, you signed the death certificate, didn't you? I think so, right. So they all came over and, and we did, I did Purita chanting, there were no other monks there. And, uh, who else was there? Anyway, that's not Were you there too? Yeah. So we, and, and it was really beautiful actually, wasn't it? And then they left. And then um, I did, my brother wanted then to do the mortician and bring her body away. But I said, no, no, I, I, I want to I do, I, I had actually planned this. I want to do this. So actually before they came, I washed her body. Right? And I, I had seen this before and I made sure she didn't, her mouth wasn't stuck in rigor mortis and I did all of that. And that was very powerful. Very, very powerful kind of, so that's, that's a death, death contemplation. And then I, um, 
Then I think I, 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 I waited about 36 hours and then finally that was enough. And I asked the morticians to come and then they said, you don't want to see this, you better get out of the room. And then she left the, the apartment in a body bag and then we had the funeral. Um, so that was, a, that was a very, 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 obviously very powerful. Um, but then, you know, all the time I'm watching her, I say, okay, what happens to consciousness? It wasn't like, oh, mom, don't leave me. It's more like, what happens to consciousness? You know, any, and it, she didn't tell me. <laughs> I didn't say anything. But, but so, so if, you're, if your curiosity's there, then also, like, if someone's dying and you have the, you know, you have the presence of mind to say death is okay and, 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 and that you have that calmness, you can give a lot to, to the family and people. One of the things we find as monks is that the chanting is, is, is very, very uh, calming. So, like, who was it? Rona. Remember Rona? Yeah. She was uh, in... Was she? she was in one of the hospices in, in, in Ottawa. Elizabeth Briere, I think. And uh, so Rona was a part of our group and then she disappeared for a long time because she was quite ill and then I reconnected with her as she was dying and, 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 and she was quite agitated and, and we did the chanting and just, oh, you could just see her sink into, into a kind of peacefulness. So even though the, the bodily formation is very agitated, the, the, her, her mind through all that experience of meditation could come to a very good place. You could see it in her face, you know. And I found that so very, very often. So, so all the practices that we do, I would think, always give us this sort of centeredness which we can remember. You know, we can remember if we have other peaceful people or we have methods and so on. So, that's an interesting way to end a retreat. <laughs> it's all... You know, this, this teaching of, of meditation and all that, I, I, I really honestly never have an idea what I'm going to talk about. And I'm always curious too. You know, say, oh, what's he going to talk about tonight? <laughs> so I hope, I hope it's helpful. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll close there for tonight. Okay, finish with the verses of sharing and aspiration. Page 24. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, May those
those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice. And through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom Austerity and vigor, may the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. In the closing homage.